Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have an amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Maya Hurst, who is the, uh, she is a marketing strategist uh, who has been in the trenches working for brands such as REI and LG to leverage data-driven insights to evangelize purposeful marketing content. Maya is also a connector and loves to find ways to make things work by connecting all the dots and the right people. With two decades of marketing moxie, Maya works to make impactful and lasting connections between brands and their audiences. Most of all, Maya is a firm believer in the power of listening more than talking, collaboration, and community. Her team and the individuals we are trying to reach through storytelling are always top of mind and at the heart of what she does. And in addition to being this amazing person, Maya is also a good friend of mine. Maya, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Hi, Brandy. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm ready to dig in, get, get I, the rehab going. Yes, I am <laughs> excited to have you. And we are talking about one of my favorite topics, which is the people that are in marketing. But before we get there, I like to have a little icebreaker or woo-saw moment that I like to call buzzword banishment. So tell me, Maya, what buzzword do you hate and wish people would stop saying? Disruption, Brandy. I can't handle disruption. Uh, as I say, you know, disruption as in my kid who walks in here right. every few minutes. Uh <laughs> So that's exactly it, right? Is it does not have a positive connotation, but if you look at job descriptions or you know a lot of startups out there, they're really clinging to this buzzword of disruption when really what we want to do for our customers as marketers is is create less disruption, less friction, and bring them in the way that they want to come in and and meet the brand. It's a relationship. And so, as you know, as as a mom, you know, more disruption <laughs> leads to more chaos. So we want to avoid that. <laughs> this is true. And you are so right that there are so many brands who really take pride in being a disruptive brand, a disruption to the industry. And it's like, you're saying you want to be problematic, right? Uh, you know, it's like that, that's not quite where you think you might want to be going, but uh, I like that one. So we are going to put disruption in the box. We're going to throw away the key and we are not going to talk about that today. Sounds good to me. Awesome. So now that we've gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? So as you mentioned at the top of the show, I've been at it for a little while and uh, marketing and, um, you know, really what I find 
is the place that a lot of people trip up within a marketing org is having enough resources to do the work. And even if you have those resources, what it takes to really develop those resources into killer marketers. And so throughout my career, I've worked with um, people coming up in the marketing org, but then also, um, you know, managing up is a huge part of that too where you're really focused on educating the rest of the organization that isn't involved in marketing into what marketing does and what our capabilities are and what our capabilities are not. Yes. And that has come up quite a few times here at Revenue Rehab. I know when I talked to Christina in episode four, we talked a lot about having to communicate up and laterally around what marketing's doing, what we're up to in order to have the right influence. Um, and then Russ Summers also talked about in building the brand and you know bringing people along within the organization in episode five, uh, we talked about that same thing of having to communicate, having to pull things along. So excited to kind of tackle this from a different angle, talking about the people. Um, and I believe in setting intentions. It helps us to stay focused. Um, and it also gives our audience an understanding of what we are going to cover today. So Maya, what are your best hopes for today? Or what would you like to be different after our session? I would really hope that uh, the people at the leadership table would understand that if you're getting an entry-level person or an intern into the marketing org, that it won't necessarily reduce the workload. It may actually increase the workload. And that is a great point. So thinking about our current climate in the marketplace, like we know it is an employee market right now that mm -hmm. you know employees are really dictating the hiring process, uh, you know, the salaries, the way things look. And so a lot of marketing leaders and, and really leaders across the board are having to make the decision of do we hire at a lower, more entry level role and conserve, you know, our human capital budget? Mm -hmm. You can hire at a little bit less. You still want to pay a livable wage, but less for someone earlier in their career uh, where you do have that trade off of having to, you know, invest more time in developing them. Or do we hire someone more senior? who comes in with all the skills, but we've got to spend more per head. Any right. thoughts on kind of like, how do people tackle that decision? I think, you know, it's definitely one that I've been part of for quite some time. And I think, you know, really either way, there's an investment in time that needs to happen. Um, it always, there's always an on-ramp time. So to think you're going to hire a growth marketer, bring them on board, and they're going to be ready to go within a couple weeks is just not realistic because there's so many moving pieces of, you know, a product or, a, you know, the organization itself that you just need to acclimate to in order to do your job. And finding out the right person for the right piece of information takes time. And then also just understanding the culture of the organization, you know, wherever you came from is obviously going to be different than where you are now and how people communicate and share information is always going to be something that you need to figure out. So, you know, right now I um, work with an intern and she's wonderful, 
but really, you know, I want to keep her and I want to make sure that after she graduates, she still wants to work for me. And that takes a good amount of time on my part to make sure that she's comfortable in the role that she's in now and that she sees the value of staying with the organization long term. And then likewise, it's setting expectations with those that she interacts with within the organization that, hey, just remember, this is someone who's, you know, still in college. This isn't, you know, a seasoned marketer. So things are going to take a little longer. It's going to take a little more investment on your part to get her to the point where she understands the message that you want to convey. And I think you hit on two really key points there. Um, I know I can say in my career history, I have not had the greatest luck with interns. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> but we did bring on a marketing intern, you know, she was in her last year of college. And when she graduated, we hired her. Mm -hmm. um, and she's been with us, I think, three, maybe four years now. I don't want to, I totally don't want to butcher her tenure. But it has been amazing. And if I just look back at the work and the level of guidance that she needed when she started as an intern, or even when she was first hired on full time, versus where she is now gives me a little bit of pride as a manager in, you know, seeing that growth and the outcome of that investment. So my first question related to that is, given that, you know, when you are leading marketing, you are constantly pulled in different directions. Any advice or even, you know, lessons learned around being able to invest that time in you know, those that are early stage career in order to be able to give them what they need? I would say involve them in as much as possible in the process, right? So for, for me, it might seem odd that she's sitting in on interviews. It might seem odd that she's sitting in in leadership meetings, but all of that is giving her context to the work that she's doing. And so I think the more you can involve them. And then we'll have side conversations. You know, last week we just had a conversation about what it's like to fire someone, right? And that's that's a whole set of skills that you need to develop throughout your career. And I know the first time I had to fire someone, I had no clue. I, I sat in that room and then just felt sick, right? I didn't know what yes. to say. I don't know that that actually ever goes away, but you know, being able to handle that human to human connection and understand that, you know, some things that happen in an organization are uncomfortable and you it's how you work through them and how you persevere through them is it brings you success. And so being someone that is relatable um, and, as I said, someone that listens more than they talk is often a great skill coming out of the gate because you're just, you're a huge sponge, right? When you're first out of school and you're taking in all of this information and just really understanding, um, you know, like I said, the organizational dynamics, you know, the process for firing someone's different at different organizations, the process for hiring someone is different. So all of those intricacies and the people involved in those decisions to hire or add to, you know, because it is an add to the budget and how that impacts the budget and then what that means in terms of a return on investment, 
all of those things are conversations that you can start having out of the gate with people. Don't feel like you, like they're just out of school, they won't understand, right? The, the sooner you right. expose them to it, the sooner they do understand. Yeah, and that's a really great point. Like just, it's almost like, you know, attaching them at the hip and bringing them along into conversations and situations that they wouldn't normally have access to prepares them, you know, it may be years before right. this person is in a role that they have to terminate someone or be the one to hire someone. But when they get there, they have that foundational understanding. Um, and even, I mean, you're right, you never really get comfortable with letting someone go. But even that comfortability in, I know what I'm doing, right, um, helps with that. Um, I think the other thing that you hit on uh, with your initial answer that is really key that I want to go back to is the transparency across the organization around where someone is in their career. Because I do think, you know, just human nature, like we all are busy, we're all trying mm -hmm. to get things done. Sometimes it is really easy to get frustrated or annoyed with someone. It's like, why are they getting it? Why are they asking me this again? Why are they asking so many questions? Um, but creating that transparency to understand, you know, to give that perspective of here is where this person is. Um, and I know one thing that we've done, like transparency across our roles is a key part of, you know, our organization and like pay and responsibilities and levels and all of that is, you know, uh, not public knowledge as in the public public, but public across our organization. And we have published expectations at each role. We call them our core co core competencies or core contributions um, so that every person, if I'm a level and there's four five levels, you know, if I'm a level two and someone's a level four, I know what I should expect from them and vice versa. Um, and so I think that perspective helps our people internally to mm -hmm. really understand and receive people where they are and be able to work with them, you know, at their level. What have you seen on your side work well? You know, I know you mentioned just having that conversation, but beyond just the one-to-one -one conversations, are there things that you have seen work well at scale for helping people to, you know, kind of really understand where people are and have that kind of transparency? So, you know, what marketers do, and I hope good marketers do, is really show the value to the person on the receiving end. And so similarly, in this situation, you know, you want to show if you invest time in this person, and it's selfish even on my part, I know that down the road that return on investment is going to pay off, right? So if I spend an hour right now running through how to segment a HubSpot campaign and make sure that every step of the way that person understands those pieces. I know that down the road, when I ask her to do that, she can just handle it. Right. Now, up front, it's, you know, it's a bigger investment in time. And so, yeah, as I speak to our product teams or speak to the sales team, it's really just an, it's, it's cultural too, I think, you know, it really is a culture of learning and then also expecting feedback and giving feedback in a constructive way that we can all grow from. And that's even, you know, for 
an intern to tell me, you know, listen, what you're doing isn't helpful. <laughs> you know, and that, that yeah. or you skipped, you know, often just the way I'm wired, I'm 10 miles down the road and forgot to tell everyone I was leaving the house. So um, it's really about making sure that they're comfortable. And that that comes from asking that question, right? Do you understand? Does that make sense? Yes. And I do think it speaks to you as a leader when you have someone that reports to you or someone who is early in their career who is comfortable pushing back uh, and being able to say like, look, this is not working for me or, you know, you're making my life more difficult um, because that can be really, really difficult for people to do. I mean, I know people who, you know, have been in their careers for quite some time and they still struggle with, you know, being able to speak up and say that, you know, something that their direct superior or someone more senior to them, that what they're doing is just really not working. Right, right. And we have to, I mean, as leaders too, we also have to set boundaries for ourselves, right? And we're, we're not your friend, we, we work together. I mean, you can right. be friendly, but, you know, um, oftentimes what I find the initial you know, they're trying to make a connection with you personally and, and just setting some guardrails around that's really important too. Like I'm, I'm here to help guide your career, but we may not hang out on the weekend, right? And right. And, and keeping those boundaries um, well-defined and those expectations well-defined so they know what's expected and then they can be held accountable to those expectations. Yeah, that is a great, great point. Um, so I do want to shift gears a little bit and talk about organizational competencies, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, some people often call the soft skills. Right. Um, and there is a little bit of a debate that I hear people have that I'd like your take on whether it is more important to hire for, you know, the clear hard skills, like the the, the tactical things that someone needs to do in the role and kind of work with them to develop their soft skills or their organizational competencies? Or do you hire more for the competencies and teach the hard skills? What's your take on that debate? I love this question. And, and I have a very definite feeling about this, which makes it even a better question for me. <laughs> but um, and, and you're right, it is, it is debatable. But Give me someone with a positive attitude and who's hungry to learn and ready to be challenged and and a problem solver. That's another huge thing, right? Like I'm I'm a person who's like, okay, well that didn't work. What can we do next time to make it better? You know, how do I solve this myself before I go to someone else? And then once you you hit like a limit there, then you go to the, the next person. So I think, you know, that's definitely that critical problem solving that we keep critical thinking that keeps coming up in a conversation as well. Um, every day of the week, I would hire someone for soft skills and teach them hard skills. I am with you. That is my side of the debate. And especially as a consultant, I'm like, teaching people the hard skills is literally my job. Uh, right. So <laughs> like, that's the easy part. Um, but finding people with those key skills, like whatever they are, because different roles are going to have different soft skills that are important. 
whatever they are, it is so, so difficult. And I think since I've been in a leadership role, that's been one of my biggest lessons learned because especially being technology consultants, I initially looked for people with those superior technical skills. Mm -hmm. But then what I found was the, the problem solving, the being able to just be agile and nimble in conversation and direction, and some of the other soft skills that are needed to be in a consulting role, some of the people with the great technical skills did not have that. And no matter how hard I tried, you just, you can't, like, they can't fake that. And, you know, right. some people kind of muster up a little bit here and there, but it's a whole lot harder to get someone where they need to be when they don't have the soft skills. Right. I mean, what marketing does for the most part is external facing. And so if you have someone that, you know, I always say I'm an introvert, but I play an extrovert on television <laughs> because I have to do that. Right. That's part of my role. But I really think if you have someone who where that's innate and, um, you know, they're resilient and they, they don't take everything at face value, maybe, and are able to talk through problems and then find a way on the other side. And you can be that sounding board, especially for a new employee. Like, how do I work through this? I've kind of hit a wall. But what I really admire in people coming up is kind of that dig in and try attitude, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to solve this before I come to you. And, um, you know, sometimes we joke too. It's, um, you know, if you're talking about like, what is, I don't understand what does paid social look like, you know? And I said, you know, that $2,500 machine in your lap, why don't you Google it? You know, like <laughs> you, can, you can find an answer. It's amazing. Like there's no card catalogs anymore. Right. So, <laughs> Oh Lord, I can, I still have some nightmares about pulling out that card catalog, <laughs> looking through all those cards, trying to find that right. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I'd rather them come and say, "Hey, I read this about paid social. Do you think this is something that would work here?" That's the conversation I want to have, not what is it, right? So, it's those people that think to do that first that I think really will will go far in their career. Yeah, and I think one of the things that 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 makes me think about is internally, you know, as a leadership team. Um, when we talk about like how we manage people, um, we talk a lot about kind of the three positions you can take as a manager, ask, tell, and ignore. Mm -hmm. And what you just gave is, you know, I know I personally default to tell where someone, you know, someone asked me that question, I'm going to launch into my whole spiel, right. of, you know, what is paid social and the history and, you know, like, because that is, you know, I, I'm an informational speaker, you know, a consultant by nature. So tell is my default, but to your point and, and what are, you really hit on is, in growing people, living in that ask where you come back to them with the question of, why don't you tell me? What do you think about that? What are you able to, you know, research or, or those sort of things? That is the place where the most growth happens. Absolutely. It's all about asking more questions, right? Instead of having all the answers. Yes, because when people figure out the answers on their own, that's when they really, you know, have that aha and it all sticks for them. Right. 
Right. Absolutely. So let's talk about time a little bit, mm -hmm. um, because people management is only a component of what a marketing leader does. Like there's a lot of the strategic direction and, you know, all the other things that we right. have to do. Um, so how, you know, if you had to give it a percentage, what percent of your time do you feel like is really invested in the people development components of your role? I would say for me, it's probably heavier than a lot of people. And that was something that I learned in my time at REI. So REI is very invested in people development. And as you be, as you become a leader or a manager at REI, they actually, I don't know if they still do it, but at the time, you know, they'd send us away to Seattle to go through leadership workshops and how to develop employees. And they had tools in place for employee development. So it's something that I'm very passionate about. So I think I probably give more time than some people. I would say maybe 20%, okay. say a, a fifth of my time. But then it's so hard to gauge because, you know, with technology now, it's Slack, you know, if there's a question, if I can answer it in the time that it's being asked, I'm going to answer it. So right. there's these little snippets, right? But, you know, that dedicated time for people like that have those skills, that I, those soft skills that we talked about earlier, I'm really more invested in them and making sure that they understand, you know, all the options within marketing and can help them hopefully inform what's next for them in terms of a career path and then how to actually put that in practice. Okay. Yeah. And you actually answered what my next question was going to be, which was one of the things that I've found is sometimes as leaders, we have a vision for the people on our team in what mm -hmm. we see as their strengths or what we see as the potential path that they could grow. And that may or may not be in line <laughs> with what they actually want. And in talking to other leaders, that seems to be kind of a pitfall or a trap that many fall into. Um, any advice for people listening on what you do to make sure that as you're coaching and developing and supporting the growth of your team, that it's actually aligned with where they want to be going, what they want to do? Yeah, that's kind of a tough one, right? Because I've certainly been in situations where I'm thinking, wow, this person thinks that they're really good at this, but really they're good, really good at that, right? But at the end of the day, you know, none of us really want to follow a path we're not passionate about. So I think in asking those questions and kind of identifying where they are, you can share what you think their strengths are and how they might be applied in a marketing organization. But at the end of the day, if they're like, no, I'm a great writer and you're like, eh, you're an okay writer, you're much better at this instead. But you know, if, if they wanna get better at writing, I'm gonna help them get better at writing. So, um, because that, that's, that's their belief, right? Now they might come to it themselves after a while because what I'm also doing is holding them accountable to the data side of writing, right? And seeing what kind of return we're getting for the copy that's going out there. So, you know, sometimes those conclusions happen organically. 
Yeah, and that's a good point. When you are able to put some of those tangible metrics behind the work that someone is doing, even if those are not the business metrics, because I know mm -hmm. most often we focus on the revenue metrics, the things that we are measured as, as a department, but there is also a growth component where there may be some KPIs for the individual that have, you know, a tie to revenue and what we're doing, but that really help them measure their effectiveness in their role. Right. I think, you know, we can get hung up on a lot of different KPIs as marketers, but at the end of the day, that revenue one is the, the only one we are really concerned about. So how does it contribute? Right. Um, and some of that is a long play, right? You're wanting to gain customers and gain, attract customers and then create a relationship and that ultimately they're going to buy more from you. And then also, once you have that customer, it's all about retaining them and having them in your referral network. And so a lot of that is a longer play that you might not see the initial return on. But, you know, I think at our point in our careers, you kind of have a sense of like, yeah, this is working. This is feeling good. I'm feeling like people are attracted to what I'm doing this seems to be working. And that's pretty, that's a pretty good gut feeling, right? So it's not, I don't want to say it's all metrics, but you know, if every time we're putting out a blog post and it's not doing anything, we're not gaining yeah. any traffic, <laughs> that that might tell you that maybe, you know, either we need to try something new or or the writing just isn't there. Uh, so my last question for you is another common debate. Um, it, when it comes to legacy as a leader, mm -hmm. some are of the school of thought that your legacy is the work that you accomplish. So people talk about how they've been able to grow companies or, you know, kind of the, you know, develop products or whatever those things are the actual work. Some people are of the mindset that your legacy as a leader is more in the people that you've been able to touch and, you know, the employees that you've been able to grow. What's your take on your legacy as a leader? Well, I think you could probably answer this for me. <laughs> um, but definitely the people. And what what is so important to me and one thing that I value probably more than anything is those relationships that I've made along the way. Um, and, you know, people that come back to me and say, you know, when we worked on this, that was really a great experience. I have people that are making career decisions constantly, especially right now, right, that are yeah. coming to me and saying, what do you think? And that is huge. I mean, I appreciate that so much on a couple levels. One, just, you know, being able to stay in contact with people and seeing how their careers are developing, but also knowing that they trust me enough with these huge life decisions. Yeah. And, you know, we definitely are of the same mindset there. I know I think a lot about my funeral, which sounds morbid, but in a positive <laughs> way of what do I want people to get up on that stage and talk about? And, you know, I don't want people at my funeral talking about, man, she drove so much revenue and, you know, <laughs> took the company from 2 million, to, you know, 10 million. Like, I really want people to talk about how the work that I'm doing 
has impacted their lives. And right. as a result of that impact, yes, I also generated a lot of revenue and did all these other things, but that those are just more the accomplishments, but that the people is the legacy. Absolutely. I mean, no one worries about their inbox when they're on their deathbed, right? They worry yes. about who's going to come and see them. Yeah. And so talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. So that means we got to do the work. Uh, and in traditional therapy, the therapist will give the client homework. But here at Revenue Rehab, I like to flip that on its head. And I want to ask you to give the rest of us some homework. So if you could summarize your key takeaways um, and give our listeners that one thing that they can do to help to pour into and be a better people manager uh, and developer of people. So absolutely what I see is a trend is we're doing more with less, right? Across all organizations, irregardless of the industry. Um, technology is supposed to fill that place, but as we all know, the technology is only as good as the people that are using it. And so as you look to your organization and as you're bringing in new talent or the new generation of talent, I should say, I think it's imperative that you take some time, even if you just stopping by and say, Hey, how's it going? You know, talk to these people, shoot them a slack. Like how, how are you settling into your new role? You know, is there anything you don't understand about my role that I can help you with? Take them for, a, you know, can't always take them for a coffee, but plan 15, a 15 minute conversation. Let me tell you more about what I do and how it, how it might help you. And then you're a resource. So it's, it's really about building a culture within the organization that we're all a team and we're all working towards a common goal. And just knowing that that investment, which might seem big on the front end, will only come back to pay you in spades on the, on the other side. Uh, so there's our takeaway for each of us to find one person on our teams, either that is new that we can check in with, or even someone that's been around for a while that we haven't talked to, uh, you know, or don't talk to as much, and have that quick 15 minute conversation with them to understand where they're trying to go and how you may be of service to them. Um, I love that as a quick, like one thing I always like so often. Yeah. You know, I listen to podcasts or go to conferences and you walk away all hype about what you need to do. But then it's kind of like, OK, where do I start? What do I do with this? Right. How do I have time? So I always like to focus on that one thing. What's one thing we can do today is schedule 15 minutes, whether in person or virtual, to have that conversation with someone. Absolutely. Well, Maya, I have enjoyed our conversation, but that's our time for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Brandy. It's great to see you. And I'm so honored to be a guest on your podcast. This is wonderful. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks everyone for joining us today at Revenue Rehab. I hope that you've enjoyed my conversation with Maya. I can't believe that we're at the end already. Thanks to everyone for joining. See you next week. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. 
We'll see you next week.